You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Well, we probably should get to talking about these Carolina Panthers. Happy Christmas Eve, by the way. Uh, For those of you that celebrate, hope you're having a great, great time. As always, be safe. Shouldn't have to get plastered to have fun on Christmas Eve, you know what I mean? Lots of good food, you get presents, hanging out with your family. I understand sometimes that can be stressful for for some, but uh, I shouldn't have to tell you to be safe on Christmas Eve, bro. You know what I mean? Have a good time. But going to be a tough matchup here with the Carolina Panthers over the last one week. The uh, Packers are 0-1 and the Panthers are 1-0, so, you know, it's going to be tough. I'll be honest, as much as I'm being sarcastic, you know, it kind of feels like, I think as Packer fans, especially considering how things have gone and also, as I've pointed out, the Packers' record on the road against non-divisional opponents is, um, well, winless. That is to say, aside from not counting Lions, Packers, uh, Lions, Vikings, Bears, Every road opponent we've played, we've lost. This being another one. That that generally feels like just kind of pessimism. You know, you look at it like, ah, worst team in football, blah, 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 which we'll get into whether they actually are or not. We say that. It shouldn't be that bad. The Packers are four-point favorites, which I guess you could say on the road is kind of a thing. But there's not a massive amount of optimism, clearly, for the Packers. I mean, for, for any playoff team to go against a team that could potentially be considered the worst team in football, I don't know. I guess I would just expect something. I, I don't mean I don't understand it. I just mean generally the expectation would be, uh, you know, something a little better than that. For example, the Eagles, who are a playoff team, but also a playoff team that are spiraling, are going against the Giants, another team that could be considered one of the worst teams in football. They are 13-point favorites. 13 to 13 and a half, depending on where you're looking. The 49ers are six-point favorites over the Ravens. The Ravens might be the second-best team in football, and the 49ers are heavier favorites in that game. Chiefs, 10 points over the Raiders. On and on, you get the idea. In fact, the Bears are four-point favorites over the Arizona Cardinals. Another team in contention. I think the three bottom teams are probably the Cardinals, the Giants, and the Panthers. Could be wrong, but I think that's what it is. 
Now, the Bears are at home, but still, it just doesn't feel great. You know what I mean? To make matters worse, the website I use, they have their quote-unquote pros that that make bets and whatnot. Um, they had, you know, four different picks in this game, but two people picked the spread, and both of them went on Carolina's side. Now, that doesn't mean they necessarily think Carolina's going to win, but they think four points is a little bit too much in the favor of the Packers. And that's sad. But let's dig in a little bit into the... Uh, statistics for the Carolina Panthers just to kind of get a broad overview of where they're at right now the Carolina Panthers sit at 2 and 12 as far as some of the stats and this is somewhat interesting here um they rank 29th in points on offense 30th in yards on offense so again not 32nd 29th and 30th gets even more interesting when you look at the defense they're 29th in points allowed but just third in yards allowed that, to be honest, is kind of hard to reconcile in my brain. I mean, that, unless teams, and there is some truth to this, but unless teams were starting at, like, the Panthers' 10-yard line, it's it's tough to figure that one out. Um, continuing on, their offense is 13th in turnovers. Their defense is 32nd in getting turnovers, so that'll be good for our offense. As far as passing, and this is actually kind of interesting if we just look at attempts, they are the 10th heaviest passing team in the NFL. They rank number one in passing attempts, which is to say teams pass against them less than any other team, which is weird. If we look at rushing, they're 28th in rushing attempts, which means teams run against them more than just about any other team. Now, I don't love that because right off the bat, what does that tell you? If you want to beat Carolina, run the ball. At least that's been the layout for a lot of other teams. I'm not saying that that necessarily has to be the case. In fact, if you look at net yards per attempt passing, their defense ranks 12th. Net yards per attempt rushing, their defense ranks 11th. So there doesn't seem to be that big of a difference. But the bottom line is, there's a lot of running. Now, maybe that's just because teams get up to such massive lead that they just end up running anyways. But I see that and I immediately think, oh crap. As far as the Panthers' offense, they are 31st in passing yards, 29th in passing touchdowns, 32nd in net yards per attempt. So the worst, depending on how much you trust this metric, the worst passing offense in football so if freaking, if our defense cannot cover, it's over. Rushing, they are 16th in attempts, 17th in yards, 31st in rushing touchdowns, and 24th in yards per attempt at 3.9 yards per attempt rushing. Percentage of drives ending in an offensive score, their offense ranks 29th. Again, defense. And, and here's the thing, and, and again, I'll, I'll give you my expectations early on, and we'll get into points in a little bit. As bad as the team is, and as much as you want to rank them here, there, or otherwise, it's not just that they're 32nd in offense, defense, and special teams. Their defense is better than their offense. Their offense is god-awful. So I have higher expectations for our defense than our offense. Not necessarily based on anything our offense and defense has done, but based on my expectations of any unit. I don't give a crap who you are or how you've been doing. This is bad, and you need to stop it. Uh, Again, with the turnovers, percentage of drives ending in the turnover, their offense ranks 17th, their defense 32nd. So we definitely cannot be turning the ball over. Big part of the reason they probably are struggling to win is that they're struggling to win the turnover battle, which is a really hard thing to do when you win, when you can't win the turnover battle. If we're gifting them turnovers with fumbles, errant throws, etc., we're asking to lose this game. Average starting field position, and this this is a big one. The Carolina Panthers offense ranks 32nd in average starting field position, starting on average at the 25.7-yard line. They they are the worst in terms of 
getting a good start. On the other side, they rank 31st, with opposing teams starting at almost the 32-yard line. And then we've got some per-drive stats, which honestly, Carolina is not as bad when you look at it on a per-drive basis. Average time per drive, their offense is the fourth best in football, which means they stay on the field longer than any or, or anyone except the three teams in front of them. Well, how are they able to do that? Well, they're third in plays per drive, which is, again, staggering. They run the third most plays per drive of any team. You can't do that if you go three and out. You got to get a lot of first downs on average. They run 6.34 plays per drive. Only two teams in the NFL are better than that. However, 27th in yards per drive. I can't make sense of this. I mean, I can, but it just it just seems really unlikely because these things should largely stay together. I mean, I would almost have to assume they never go three and out. So they're always getting sort of that one first down because they're getting like exactly six plays. And on those six plays, which takes a lot of time, it's a lot of running, a lot of clock draining, and very little yards per play, just enough to get that first down. And then on the second drive, they don't do anything. I mean, that, things like that would be how you'd come to this position. But I have, it's just so weird to me that you can be fourth in time of possession on offense in the entire NFL, third in plays per drive on offense, but yet be 27th in yards and even worse, 29th in points per drive at 1.22 points per drive. Defensively is somewhat the same in terms of it being really, really good, but at the end of the day, I mean, it, it is the opposite of bend, don't break, which is weird because I can figure out bend. It's, it's like break, don't bend. Their defense is the sixth best in average time per drive. They are the second best in plays per drive, allowing just 5.6 plays per drive on average. They are sixth in yards per drive, just allowing 26.8 yards per drive, but they're 25th in points allowed per drive. I don't know. Is it just pick sixes or what? <laughs> I don't know. A little bit more context on their offense and how absolutely god-awful it is. Since their bye week, which was in week seven, they have not reached 20 points once. 15 against the Texans, 13 against the Colts, 13 against the Bears, 10 against the Cowboys, 10 against the Titans, 18 against the Buccaneers, 6 against the Saints, and 9 against the Falcons. And yes, they won, scoring just 9 against the Falcons, because the defense held the Falcons to 7 points. As for the defense, it rank, I mean, they both rank 29th in points, but it's very different. The, uh, the offense is consistently bad every single week. The defense is very inconsistent. They gave up 42 points week 5 against Detroit, uh, 42 points week 6 against Miami. That's obviously going to kill your average. Since then, against Houston, this is after their bye week, they only allowed 13 points to the Houston Texans. They allowed 27 to the Colts, which is kind of a lot, but not earth-shattering. 16 only to the Bears. 33 to the Cow Cowboys, which is a lot, but it's also the Cowboys. Just 17 to the Titans. 21 to the Bucks. 28 to the Saints. Again, kind of high, but not the worst. And 7 to the Falcons. If we look at since their bye week, um, which again is a large stretch of games, as of right now, the Carolina Panthers actually rank 13th in points on defense, not 29th. Big difference. And then offensively, they rank um, 31st. So when you look at the offense and you look at the defense, even though you can, again, take a very brief, quick look at this and just say, well, they're both 29th, they suck, worst team in football, blah, blah, blah. Not when you look at more recent history. As for... Um, 
DVOA, they have Carolina ranked 31st ahead of the Giants. As I told you before, when we played the Giants, Giants are the worst team in football. I don't think a lot of Packer fans get that. I think it's like, well, the Giants are bad, like bottom 10, and we lost to them, and that sucks. But you can't lose to the Panthers. Bro, Panthers are better than the Giants. And then, you know, again, DVOA, um, looking at defense, they have their defense ranked 27th, but their weighted defense is 24th, meaning... Obviously, they're better recently than they were in the past because they still wait all the other really bad games, um, just less so. So those 42 still count, just not as much. And again, the Packers ranked 29th uh, weighted, which means weighing more heavily more recent games, the Packers ranked 30th. So honestly, when you look at it from that standpoint, it's a much more even matchup, especially when you figure that it's on the road for the Packers. You have, let's say, the 30th ranked offense against the 30th ranked defense. And then it just depends what metric you want to use for the Packers. Um, but they are ranked 11th via DVOA, 10th when you look at weighted DVOA. And again, if you just look at what they've done since their bye week, you're talking about the 11th ranked defense. Now, if you go more DVOA, which says you can't just throw out the earlier games, fine. Then it's 27th, it's advantage Packers. But then you factor in the home versus away. The point is, again, it's kind of close. Um Man, looking at the Panthers scoring and whatnot, it's just, it's such a complete disaster. Again, we've kind of gone over it a little bit, but only three games have they scored 20 or more points. In those games where they scored 21 against Miami, 24 against the uh, the Lions, and 27 against the Seahawks, the lowest amount their defense gave up, and all those are on the road, by the way, um, was 37 points. 37, 42, and 42. In... Uh, Games in which the defense held them to 20 or less, the offense scored 17, 10, 13, 15, and 9. So when the offense shows up, the defense doesn't. When the defense shows up, the offense doesn't. Their two wins came when the defense held them to 13 and 17. The offense did not show up in those games. The defense was just so massively overpowering that they won despite being completely inept. Again, scoring 15 and 9. So as far as how do they win, basically when the defense is just so unbelievably unstoppable. And both of those did happen at home. Obviously, not a ton of correlations between winning and any kind of a thing when you only win two games. But another thing is they didn't have any turnovers in those two wins. Turnovers are very important. They turn over the ball a lot. There's only been five games where they didn't turn the ball over and they won two of those. In those games also, they were able to get turnovers. So against the Atlanta Falcons, they had zero turnovers but they took the ball away twice. Against the Texans, they had zero turnovers and took the ball away once. So they won the turnover ratio, which isn't always enough. They also won the turnover ratio against the Vikings and lost, against Miami and lost, against uh, Seattle and lost. But as far as I'm concerned, win the turnover battle and you win the game. I mean, there's a lot of things where it's like, if you just do this, you win. (laughs) Just do that and you win. This is a big one though. Anyways, why don't we take our first break? We'll come back. We'll look at the injury report. We'll look at some of the players for the Carolina Panthers and um, some players to keep an eye on. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. 
superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, let's take a look at the injury report. The official injury report is, boy, oh boy, I swear this, every time I think it can't get any longer, it did. The Carolina Panthers injury report is actually a decently sizable injury report. I mean, this is, you know, 10 weeks ago, we would have looked at this injury report and said, man, this Packers report is getting long here. But they have uh, Brian Burns, Yatur Gross Matos, uh, Marquise Haynes, Taylor Moten, Sam Franklin, Ian Thomas, Xavier Woods, uh, Claudin Cherilis, Stephen Sullivan, and Andy Dalton all on the injury report. Most of these guys are perfectly fine. In fact, there's only three that are even questionable. And um, of those three, I, I don't know much about them. Sam Franklin, Ian Thomas, and um, Claudine Chirellis, Chirellis, whatever. All right, Packers. And I got to zoom out because I can't even fit it all in my screen. Ready? Here we go. Jair Alexander, Devondre Campbell, A.J. Dillon, Kingsley, Enigbari, Elton Jenkins, Aaron Jones, Jonathan Owens, Jaden Reed, Darnell Savage, T.J. Slayton, Luke Tenuta, Quay Walker, Christian Watson, Dontavian Wicks, Emmanuel Wilson, Luke Musgrave, Rudy Ford, Caleb Williams, and Robert Rochelle. 19 different players. Guys that look like they are good to go. Kingsley, Enigbari with his toe injury, Elton Jenkins with his shoulder injury, Aaron Jones with his knee-slash-finger injury, Jonathan Owens with his knee injury, Quay Walker with his shoulder injury, Caleb Jones, foot-slash-illness. Questionables, Jair Alexander with a shoulder injury, A.J. Dillon, thumb injury, which again, believed to be broken, Jaden Reed, toe-slash-chest injury, T.J. Slayton, knee-slash-foot injury. It's, it's, I shouldn't say funny, but it's, it's funny, but also not surprising that there's so many, like, slash. Because it's like, how many, how do so many guys have multiple injuries? But at the same time, if you think about it, it would almost be unlikely that all of these guys have injuries and each one of them only has one. I just don't remember ever seeing so many, which is crazy. 
other questionables. Duntavian Wicks with an ankle injury. Rudy Ford with a back injury. Robert Rochelle with a neck injury. Doubtful for this game. Luke Tenuta, ankle injury. Christian Watson, hamstring injury. Emmanuel Wilson, shoulder injury. And then officially out, Devondre Campbell with a neck injury. Darnell Savage, shoulder. Um, and uh, Luke Musgrave with his kidney injury. So, with all that, obviously, there's going to be a lot of speculation, particularly about Jair Alexander and Devondre Campbell. Obviously, with Jair Alexander, we don't know, at least I don't know at this particular point in time, whether or not he's going to be playing. But another week out is just going to prolong this whole, like, what the heck is going on thing. And then you have Devondre Campbell, obviously, who is listed as out. Now, we've talked extensively about it, so I don't need to go in depth, but I mean, my understanding of the timeline is Devondre plays hurt, the defense is bad, Devondre at least perceives that he's being thrown under the bus for the loss. He goes out publicly to essentially throw the coaches back under the bus and say, screw you, I'm not playing hurt anymore then. Matt LaFleur comes out and says they've made the decision to not make him practice as a result of all this so that he can heal better. In other words, he probably would be practicing if it wasn't for all this stuff, and now he's not going to play. So we have a situation in my mind that's similar to Jair Alexander, where I have no doubt at all that he's hurt. None. What I do have doubt about is whether there is sort of, uh, I guess, proportionality between how hurt they are and how little we're seeing of them. Would he have practiced if it wasn't for him coming out publicly about the situation? Would he be playing? Would Jair Alexander be back? I know Jair's hurt. I'm not doubting that at all. I'm asking if it were under different circumstances if the guy would be playing at all. So we will see. I honestly don't expect Jair to play. Uh, a little bit more context on Luke Musgrave. Surprisingly, he has returned to practice. Um, again, he is not going to be playing. He did not practice Thursday, Friday. But on Thursday, they did de designate him to return from IR. And he's out there catching passes from guys. So I, just something I didn't expect. I, I don't know that he's going to play this year. I don't know how that's all going to pan out, but just great to see that um, he's back in the swing of things, and it'll be fun to kind of track that. And, uh, you know, again, at the end of the day, just having a fully healthy, ready-to-rock-and-roll Luke Musgrave for next year is is really what matters. But, you know, if we get a little bit of a peek at the end of the season, especially with Tucker Kraft kind of starting to find his way, I'm just saying just, 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 just a little taste, you know? Let him come back for the Bears game and use him to help tear up the Bears. I mean, what a great way to end the season, you know? I'm just saying. Uh, Christian Watson, he did not practice all week. So, you know, I mean, the, the frustration with Christian Watson isn't just the repeated injuries, but it seems to be really difficult for him to come back. I mean, very rarely do we see him kind of like tweak something and then he just either comes back into that game or is right back next week. It's usually, you know, he's got a little bit of a hamstring thing going on. And then it's like, all right, is he going to play? Well, maybe we'll see. Okay, no, he's not. Maybe next week we'll see. Okay, maybe not. Maybe next week we'll see. Okay, maybe. And it's like four weeks, five weeks. It's like, you know, it's pretty rough. One of the bigger question marks here being Dontavian Wicks. Obviously, Jaden Reed is another one. Those two guys, I mean, with Christian Watson likely out and Luke Musgrave out, it's nice having Jones back, although I think he's still going to be in a limited fashion. So you got like 50% Jones, no A.J. Dillon. We're down Christian Watson. We're down Musgrave. If we don't have Wicks and or Reed, it's just going to be rough, man, you know? 
again, I like Dobbs. I like Wicks and Reed independently, but we're we're really missing uh, quite a bit. Digging in a little bit to their players and whatnot, if we look at their offense, again, not a very good offense, they have a grand total of 43 total players that have taken a snap. Of those 43, five are graded in the 70s or higher, only one in the 80s. Now, that obviously is not a representation of everybody that actually plays. One of the people that's in the top five is Gabe Jackson, who's played one game. Another, their actual highest graded player on this team, is Andy Dalton with an 81 grade. That leaves Chuba Hubbard at a 75.4, Adam Thielen at a 73.3, and Taylor Moten at a 72.1. Those are the only three players graded out as good. The lowest graded player that is a starter is their quarterback, Bryce Young. Now, they do have a guy by the name of Nash Jensen. Sorry about the bird chirping. Nash Jensen is the um, the only other guy that I'm aware of that's actually going to be starting in this game. At least I believe he is. He's only played four games, week 12, 13, 14, and 15 at guard. We'll get into the specifics of all that in a little bit. But aside from that, Bryce Young has a 51.7 grade, 48 passing grade. He had one good game this year, and that was last week against Atlanta. 78 grade, 74.2 passing grade. His next highest grade was a 68. He's only had four games above a, well, 60s or higher. Depending on how you slice this or where you put the minimums or whatever, Bryce Young is currently the lowest graded quarterback in the NFL in terms of his passing grade. Looking at overall grade, he's higher than Desmond Ritter, and that's it. Meaning, even with an 80.7 rushing grade, he is overall considered worse than Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. He has the lowest completion percentage in the entire NFL and is the only quarterback below a 60. Jordan Love now up to 62.6. He has the lowest yards per attempt. This is out of 28 quarterbacks, by the way. The lowest yards per attempt at 5.3. He has um, nine touchdowns and nine interceptions. His big-time throw percentage is the third lowest ahead of only Zach Wilson and Josh Dobbs at just 2.8. Jordan Love, for reference, is at 5.1%. He ranks 21st out of 28 in turnover-worthy play percentage. He's at 3.6%. So for reference, 3.6% of his passes are nearly turnovers. 2.8% are big-time throws. He has 13 big-time throws on the season and 20 turnover-worthy plays. Only nine of those 20 was actually turned over. Love is at 2.7% turnover-worthy play. Not surprisingly, based on all this, he does have the lowest passer rating in the NFL at 72.7. Jordan Love currently sitting at 90.8. If you look at deep passing, which of course is something that allegedly we're very good at stopping, which is hilarious in and of itself. Speaking of, by the way, I, I, I what the heck was it I talked about this before? I think it was DVOA on deep passes, where it's like, yeah, supposedly we're supposed to be good at this, but we suck. <laughs> so, you know, the whole bend, don't break thing, like we're, we're going to be conservative and try to stop, you know, big explosive plays. Plays in which there are 15 or more yards to go. The Green Bay Packers are the second worst in football. And by far the worst as far as passing EPA. Which is weird, because I thought the whole thing was... Like, you know, 3rd and 15, 2nd and 15, whatever. That's when the Packers should come alive. You know what I mean? 
That's when the defense did really shine. This is what Joe Barry does. Second worst in the entire NFL. But anyways, uh, Bryce Young is the second worst deep ball passer in the NFL, which is fantastic news for the Packers until I tell you the part where Baker Mayfield is the actual worst deep passer in the NFL and by a wide margin. The gap between Bryce Young at 24 and Zach Wilson at 18 is very, very close. In fact, the gap between Bryce Young at 24 and Gardner Minshew at 16 is smaller than the gap between Bryce Young and Baker Mayfield, one spot behind him. That's how awful Baker Mayfield has been this year in passing the ball 20 yards or more down the field. And yet, he freaking carved us up. So, you know, I guess it's good news about Bryce not being good at it, but is it? I don't know. Um, in a clean pocket, Bryce Young is the second worst quarterback in the NFL. He has a 69.3 passing grade, a 71.2 overall PFF grade in a clean pocket. So that's him at his absolute best, 71.2. As far as his abilities under pressure, he is the second worst ahead of only Gardner Minshew. He has a 29 PFF grade while under pressure and a 26.5 passing grade. The problem that I see here is that uh, he happens to have the fourth highest rushing grade while under pressure. So I don't know, man. I Maybe we just don't put any pressure on him and take that whole 71 PFF grade and see what we can do with it, because I don't want to see it. <laughs> I just, oh, I don't know what to do. Anyways, uh, moving on to their receivers. Oh, and I apologize. That wasn't 2023. That was since 2021 in the Joe Barry era. So it's it's three freaking years of data that has the Packers as the second worst. And again, by a million miles, the absolute worst in pass coverage in plays 15 yards or more to go. The only reason the Chargers are overall worse is because apparently the Chargers are disgustingly bad in rushing EPA in those situations. I'm guessing it's like first and 15 and second and 15 where teams run and then gash the Chargers or something. I don't have any idea. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, all right, anyways, Panthers receivers. And by that, I don't mean wide receivers. I mean anybody that catches passes. Adam Thielen, again, played all year, 76.5 grade, which is fantastic. The problem is the 33-year-old wide receiver completely hit a wall after week eight. Adam Thielen um, didn't have the greatest week one, but starting in week two, his grades were 81, 76, 74, 86, 83, and 78. That's through week eight. Since week eight, 49, 60, 68, got distracted. I don't know where I was, but 45, 59, 61, 51. He has not had a good game since week eight, bottom line. Not one good game. From weeks one through eight, so the first eight weeks of the season, Adam Thielen was the seventh highest graded receiver in the entire NFL. Since that time, out of 94 receivers, he ranks 87th. He is the eighth worst wide receiver in the NFL since that period of time, right behind Jonathan Mingo, also a Carolina Panther. Jonathan Mingo has been the second most targeted, so I guess their number two wide receiver. Uh, 53.8 receiving grade, 55.9 
really been pretty consistent. Um, his two best games have come week th- weeks 13 and 15, so you can call that a, a spike, I guess. But we're talking 64 PFF, or, you know, receiving grades. He's not good. He has zero touchdowns the entire year. And uh, I think his best game came week 13 against Tampa. 10 targets, 6 receptions, 69 yards. That leaves the number three receiver, DJ Chark. Seen DJ Chark plenty. He spent a lot of time in Jacksonville. 2022, he was in Detroit. Um, again, similarly had sort of his two best games, weeks 13 and 15. I don't know what the heck happened those weeks, but he actually had his one good game against Tampa Bay, 83 grade. That's his only good game of the season, though. Every other game was 50s and 60s. Every single one. He has three touchdowns on the season, hasn't had a touchdown since week nine, and has cracked 50 receiving yards just twice this year. He's had more than three receptions just once this year, and that was in week three. So those are their wide receivers. The other receiver receivers, you've got Chuba Hubbard as sort of the top guy there. He has just a 61.8 receiving grade, 190 receiving yards, zero touchdowns. Then you've got Miles Sanders. He does have a 70.1 receiving grade, but that's just on the back of two games. Um, 83.6 week four and a 79 week three. Every other game has been relatively bad. He has just 137 receiving yards and zero touchdowns. Hayden Hurst was their top receiver. He had just a 53 receiving grade, but he hasn't played since week 10, which leaves Tommy Tremble to be their number one tight end. Tremble has a 60 receiving grade, just 118 yards and three touchdowns on the season. He has not only never cracked 50 receiving yards, he has only cracked 30 receiving yards once. He's cracked 20 receiving yards twice. Um, Of his three touchdowns, not one of them came with even double-digit yardage. In fact, none of them even came with five yards, receiving yards. His three touchdown games were against Dallas, three targets, one reception for four yards and a touchdown. Houston, two targets, two receptions, four yards and a touchdown. And then against Detroit, one target, one reception, one yard and a touchdown. His games in which he cracked 10 receiving yards... He had two receptions for 12 yards against Indy. He had one reception for 15 yards against Seattle, three receptions for 16 yards against Chicago, two receptions for 25 yards against Miami, and two receptions for 32 yards against Atlanta. And that's it. On the ground, they have three threats. Chuba Hubbard, the running back, Miles Sanders, the running back, and Bryce Young, the quarterback. Chuba Hubbard is their top guy. He has... um, 188 attempts compared to Miles Sanders, 131. He's also the better running back. He has 731 yards, four touchdowns, and a fumble, but that only comes at 3.9 yards per attempt. Now he's got 31 missed tackles forced. He's got 17 carries over 10 yards, 2.87 yards after contact. PFF likes him. They have a 78 rushing grade, but at the end of the day, the yards per attempt are kind of what matter, and it's low probably because the offensive line is not doing a good job. Miles Sanders is even worse. He has 121 attempts for 401 yards, just 3.3 yards per attempt, just one touchdown and two fumbles. He has a 59 rushing grade. Then we get to Bryce Young, and Bryce Young I don't think is as much of a threat as many people think in terms of his rushing ability. I think the assumption is he is just this little speedy guy that runs around all over the place. He's third on his team in rushing. He has just six rushing attempts along with 26 scrambles, for 210 yards. And it's weird because I'm looking at it and it says he has 210 yards, 
but his scramble yardage is 219. It's like, well, first of all, how does he have six attempts for 210 yards and he has 219 scramble yards? I don't understand what's going on. He has six attempts, as in like, this is what we're trying to do. He has 210 total rushing yards in terms of designed runs and scramble yards, but has negative nine yards on designed runs. Negative nine. Here are his attempts. Week one, he had one rushing attempt, negative three yards. Week eight, one rushing attempt, negative two yards. Uh, against Dallas, week uh, one rushing attempt, negative one yards. Against Atlanta, three rushing attempts, negative three. Now, this this could very well be taking knees and whatnot. Not all of them are, but some of them probably, like if you see three for negative three, it's probably one, one, one. One for negative two is probably not that. One for negative three is definitely not that. But he is not on design runs at all. They're not asking him to do it ever. And when he is, he's wildly unsuccessful. So that leaves us with scramble yards. And again, he has 26 scrambles for 219 yards. But if we look at it in terms of what he's done on a game-to-game basis, he has zero rushing touchdowns, nine rushing fumbles. He has never once rushed for more than 50 yards. His most is 41. Against Indy in week nine, he had five scrambles for 41 yards, zero touchdowns, zero fumbles. That's it. Now, do I fully expect that to be broken this week? A hundred percent. I would be almost surprised if he doesn't crack 50 rushing yards. But just to be clear, if anybody has the idea that Bryce Young is some kind of a freak athlete that rushes all over everybody, that's completely and entirely wildly untrue. I think the fact that he's 5'10", 204 also probably factors into them saying, please do not run unless you absolutely have to. Anyways, that brings us to the offensive line, which is not as bad as some of the other offensive lines we face, like the Giants, so I don't want to make you any sweeping declarations about how easy this should be for our um, defensive line that seems like whenever they feel like it, they will just dominate whoever's in front of them, and whenever they don't feel like it, they're not going to beat anybody no matter how bad the offensive line is. So it's really kind of irrelevant, if we're being honest. It just depends on if and when our guys decide to show up. But let's talk about it anyways. At left tackle, they have the 2022 first-round pick, Akemikwanu. Um, He has been a fairly big disappointment considering the hype coming into it. Again, number six overall pick. Last year, he had a 64 run blocking grade. That is up to a 69.8, which is nice. Um, he hasn't had a good game since week 11 in that regard. But, you know, it's, it's certainly an improvement. He's had some great games there. His pass blocking, however, has gone from a 67.5 grade down to a 59.2. He allowed 27 pressures last year. He's already allowed 35 this year. He had six sacks given up last year. That's already up to eight. And again, several more weeks left to go. So 62.3 overall, 60, call it a 70 run blocking and a 59 pass blocking. Certainly not ideal. It's not the worst in the world, but it should be beatable and definitely a disappointment for a number six overall. Not that his career is over, but um, not a great start in the first couple of years. At left guard, I believe they'll be going with Cade Mays. Uh, Chandler Zavala has been there for a while, but I believe he is out. Cade Mays has been stepping in the last several weeks, kind of intermittently. It looks like weeks 5, 6, 12, 14, 15. But anyways, he has a 75.4 run blocking and a 52.6 pass blocking grade. Very, very up and down. Um, he, He had... Basically an 82 pass blocking grade last week, which is why his grade is as positive as it is, even though it's not positive. (laughs) 
But his other games in which he actually played a decent chunk, uh, the week before that was a 60.9. Before that, week 12 against Tennessee was a 24 pass blocking grade. Miami was a 47. Detroit was a 61. And then week two was a 53. He also had a zero against Minnesota, which I'd love to mention, but he only played two pass blocking snaps. So I, I guess we can ignore that. And then the run blocking has been average, but he's had two good games. So altogether, uh, 75.4. So bottom line, he's not very good. 2022 sixth round pick. So there's two guys from that class playing on the left side. At center, you've got uh, Bradley Bozeman. Bradley Bozeman has a 68.5 run blocking grade and a 49.9 pass blocking. This is the opposite of the Packers. Like they're, they're, they're adequate enough run blockers, I guess but the pass blocking is just rough. Now, he's also given up 28 pressures and 8 sacks, which is similar to Akema Kwanu, but remember, tackles generally give up more than guards, and guards generally give up more than centers. This is your center giving up 8 sacks on the season. That's rough. In fact, it is the roughest in all the land. It is, uh, by the order of 2 sacks, worse than the next worst center. Cincinnati's Ted Karras has given up 6 only three centers have given up more than four, and Bradley Bozeman has doubled that with eight. So John Michael Schmitz over at uh, for the Giants, and, and Josh Myers also. There's a handful of guys, uh, like six of them or whatever, seven, eight, I don't know, that have given up four sacks. Bozeman has doubled that. He's given up the third most pressures of any center in the NFL. So that's what we're going up against, just so we're clear, as far as the center and the offensive line as a whole. Again, not that I think it's going to matter, but there's that. Right guard is very weird. They've had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different people play right guard. Of those eight, let me just go through the pass blocking grades. 72, that was Gabe Jackson. 55.7 for Calvin Throckmorton. Shut up, Crow. Cade Mays, 52.6. And then after that is 45, 39, 39, and 32. Oh, and seven. Chandler Zavala. My understanding is that Nash Jensen's going to be the dude um, filling in at right guard. He's been there since week 12, four weeks in a row. He has a 40.5 PFF grade, a 44.6 run blocking grade, and a 38.9 pass blocking grade. His pass blocking grades over these four weeks that he's played, he is a 2023 undrafted free agent, just so we're clear. 40, 46, 36, and 55. Okay, okay. Then the only real stability this entire offensive line, maybe the entire freaking offense has had, is Taylor Moten at right tackle. He is a good football player, has been for a while. He's the only right tackle that's taken a snap at the right tackle position. 65 pass blocking grade, 75.6 pass blocking grade. Sounds like a typical, prototypical Green Bay Packer. He has never had a bad year as a pass blocker, ever. He was a second-round pick in 2017, his pass blocking grades have been 77, 83, 79, 78, 79, 82, and this year 77, or 76, whatever. He has not had a bad game since week nine. He's very consistent. Again, especially since week 10, he's been solid as a pass blocker and as a run blocker, honestly, since week 11, with the exception of last week against Atlanta. He's just a good football player. He's not elite, but he's solid. You know, he's sort of what I would consider like Zach Tom, what I would have said, you know, like... uh John Runyon was until this year has been a disaster for him. Just solid, you know? But also, a little bit beatable. 
Not the greatest in the universe. So not a very good offensive line in general. Anyways, let's take our final break. I want to look at their defense, and then I want to go and look at uh, expectations and maybe a score prediction if I'm feeling a little sassy. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, defense time. So on the defensive side of things, they definitely have some pieces. I mean, there's no two ways around it. I mean, they have some players. It's it's not great, but I would say it's borderline like the Packers to where they should be better than they are, and I think they are becoming better than they have been. Part of that might actually be um, J.C. Horn coming back, and we you know usually I go in order, but um, J.C. Horn is their first-round pick from 2021, you know, year one was eh, but he didn't play a lot, so, you know, whatever. Year two, he comes back. It was a pretty good year two. Jumped from a 67 to a 73 coverage grade. 2023, he's at a 79 coverage grade, but he's only played four games so far this year. And, in fact, it's probably what? Yes, I know. Alexa will be making appearances once in a while to uh, to the show. I'm not talking. Nope. I'm not talking. I wasn't talking to you. I was just talking to my podcast, letting them know that you'll be here. I'm not asking you about the WWE. All right. But she'll be making some appearances. Bottom line is, though, uh, if we go through it position by position, on the interior is maybe one of their better players, Derek Brown, seventh overall selection in 2020. First two years, it was starting to look like he might be a little bit of a bust. Again, an exercise in being patient with young, talented players. He went from a 61 grade to a 64 in year two and then jumped up to an 85 PFF grade in year three. He's at an 85 again. Um, He's really not the best pass rusher in the world. He does have a 76 grade, but the stats are just really not good. He only has seven sacks on his entire career. One sack this year. The the pressure rate is sub 10%. But PFF likes him. I'm guessing he's probably just facing a ton of double teams or something. I don't know. But obviously run defense, 81 PFF grade. So he's an impactful guy. After that, on the interior, it falls off quite a bit. Shy Tuttle, who's been around uh, for a while for New Orleans, went over to Carolina. He's at a 50 overall grade. Not good in any, any of the categories. Deshaun Williams is defensive tackle number three. Also has a 50 PFF grade. Not good in any of those categories. After that, Nick Thurman, 58. After that is LeBrian Ray, 56. And then after that, uh, actually, that's it for interior. So they've got one impact player on the interior. The other rotational pieces, the number two, number three, whatever, they all, uh, they're all struggling. On the edge, our old buddy Brian Burns. He is having a bit of a resurgent year. He's been very up and down, 60 grade as a rookie, and then it was up to a 77 in year two then back to a 60, and then a 64, and then 78. So very volatile, but he's been real consistent this year in, as far as being real good. Um, strangely, and probably not ideally, his best attribute is his coverage ability. He has an 85 coverage grade, a 75 pass rush grade, but really that's just three good games. 91, 78, and 85 are the only three games where he graded in the 70s or higher. And then a 67 run defense grade. Um, He does have 34 pressures on about 300 attempts, so just above uh, 10%. And then seven sacks, although he's had one sack in his last uh, six games. So he's not a massive sack guy. He had two week one. He had five in his first five weeks. And then since then, it's been one, two. He's had two sacks since week six. 
0-1-0-0-1-0-0-0 for Brian Burns. After that is Yatur Gross Matos, who is a second round pick. Uh, he is having his best year, but that's not saying much. 68.7 PFF grade. Um, and then the rotational guys behind him, DJ Johnson, 51 grade, and Amari Barno, 64 PFF grade. At linebacker, Frankie Louvu, a pretty decent football player, 75 PFF grade, 72.4 run defense, 90 pass rush, and 61 in coverage. Next to him, however, is Kamu Grieger Hill. He has a 49 PFF grade. So it, like with a lot of these positions, you got one really good interior guy, and then it's pretty rough. You got one pretty good edge guy, and then it gets kind of rough. You got one really good linebacker, but that's pretty much it. Then at corner, we've got, again, Horn is back. So J.C. Horn, who was a number eight overall selection. They've had a lot of top 10 picks over the, over the last few years. J.C. Horn was one of them. I liked J.C. Horn. I've liked a lot of the picks that they've had, actually. I was a huge Brian Burns fan. I like J.C. Horn. And then, um, who was it here? Where the heck is he? Oh, Derek Brown was my favorite prospect in that entire draft class. So, um, another more evidence that I would be a terrible GM. Because every team that just mimics like the Bears always pick the guys I like. Panthers apparently pick the guys I like, and both of those teams suck. So never listen to me about anything ever. <sighs> and they're gone. <laughs> Everybody just turned the podcast off. Anyways, J- uh, no, J.C. Horn, uh, really solid football player. He got injured in week one, came back week 13, and has just been kind of off and running. Last week was a little rough, 57.6 overall, 50.4 coverage grade. But even despite that, he has almost an 80 coverage grade, 81.1 overall uh, grade, 80 run defense, 86 tackling, which isn't surprising if you remember his um, college, you know, tape or breakdown or whatever. He's a pretty fit, big physical guy. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say big, 6'1", 200, but he plays big. So that would be their one really good corner. And then next to the, or I should say on the opposite side of him on the boundary, is uh, Dante Jackson. Dante Jackson has a 62.6 grade, 67 coverage grade, but it's worse than it sounds. I mean, you you take a 63 and it's like, that's really not that bad, especially when he's the number two. But he has three good games. One of them is a 93.4 he put up against Chicago. He has nine games of 50 or below. So it's 90, 70, 70, 60, and then it's all 50s and 40s after that. It's real bad. He's given up 37 receptions, 483 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, five pass breakups, 115 passer rating when targeted. So again, he he has the ability to just blow up and have an elite kind of a game, but he's more than likely going to have a terrible game. And that's actually very similar to Troy Hill, who spent some time in L.A. He had some really good years in L.A., especially I think it was like 2019 when the entire team was playing really well and he was one of the guys that was near the top. He's very similar. He's had uh, more good games, but I think he's had more bad games as well in terms of like lower graded games. So for him, it's been 70, 50, 40, 70, 50, 90, 60, 20, 50, 90, 40, 40, and then 70, 80. So he's had a good couple weeks. His first two-game stretch these last two weeks. Of course, Carolina's starting to pick it up the last two to three weeks. But, I, I mean, he's, he's un, uh, volatile is the only way to describe it. If you catch him on a good day, I mean, good for him, you might be in trouble. Because he's essentially had three games where he's graded out as elite. 
You catch him on a bad day, and he is just you just pick him apart all day long. And then safety is no different than anything else. Xavier Woods, 2017 six-round pick, is having a phenomenal year. He has an 82 PFF grade, an 80 tackling grade, an 82 coverage grade. Next to him is Von Bell, the 2016 second-round pick, and he's having a bad game uh, year. It's his uh, like second worst year ever since his rookie year. I mean, it's his his worst year aside from his rookie year. He has a 64 grade, 63 coverage grade. So again, the entire defense is built up of each position has one really good guy. Brown on the inside, Burns on the outside, Horn at corner, Luvu at, at linebacker, and Woods at safety. But again, when you've got a premier interior guy, a solid, you know, decent pass rusher, a potential top 10 corner, I mean, easily the way he's playing, if he had played all year, he'd be top 10 a uh, really solid linebacker and a borderline top five safety, I know the rest of it isn't great. You should not be a terrible defense. Now, again, they are getting better as some of these guys are getting healthier and coming back or whatever and, and, and improving. But I think this is another case similar to the Packers where you look at the talent and just go, it shouldn't be this bad. Like th- this should be pushing, if not well within the top 10, in my opinion. But that's my opinion. Um, their kicker as far as field goals, Eddie Pinheiro ranks 24th out of 34, so not the worst, but not great. He is better than Andres Carlson pretty significantly, who ranks 30th out of 34, but that's neither here nor there. The punter, Johnny Hecker, is uh, 28th out of 33, so he is near the bottom. Daniel Whelan right now is 11th, so he's actually doing really well. But um, not too surprising when you remember what we talked about as far as field position and whatnot when you've got a struggling punter. Overall, as a special teams unit, PFF has them ranked 25th, uh, Packers at 21st. But look, as, as far as the expectations go, if we just look at points per game, Carolina at home is averaging 13 points per game. They are allowing 20 points per game. So if we just look at the averages and don't say anything about how they've been doing more recently as opposed to anything else, you're looking at 20 to 13. And that's not necessarily prediction as it is a baseline. In other words, if we score 24, we overperformed. If we score 17, we underperformed. If we allow 17, we underperformed. If we allow, you know, seven, then we overperformed. It's a tough bar for the defense. Not a lot of wiggle room, but it is what it is. So I am going to leave it at that uh, quote unquote prediction, I suppose. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that did give to uh, help with Aria and her battle against leukemia. It is up over uh, 5,000, which was the goal. It's at 5,175. I would encourage you to please, if you have not and are interested, please don't be dissuaded by the fact that they met their goal. That goal was completely arbitrary, and I'm, I'm positive that there are going to be much more expenses incurred and accrued as a result of this. Again, the father is staying home. So let's. Uh, Let's be sure to do them a favor. You can find the uh, the GoFundMe all over social media. We've all been uh, posting it, reposting it, whatever. I will try to remember again to put it in the comment sections. If I did not, you can find it on uh, yesterday's podcast comment section or whatever. But please uh, check it out, read it over. Again, Matt Ramage does work with the person, so any skepticism about whether or not it's it's real, which I know is an unfortunate thing that we shouldn't have to worry about, but makes sense to worry about. Um, again, he works with the guy, he knows him, and he knows that this is legitimate. So 
please consider it. Otherwise, you guys have a good rest of your day, and I look forward to talking to you. Hmm. I don't know if I'm doing Packing It After Dark, the Christmas party and everything. We'll see. I'll talk to you very soon, hopefully for Packers victory whatever day. Have a good one. Bye-bye.